Hello everyone, and welcome to the August 3rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Lloyd's Garen and Kelly, and thank you for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A Workers' Comp Appeals Board panel decision determined that SB 863 changed the QME panel timing requirements specified in its former Macell versus Pitco Food decision. Here's what happened in the case of David Murray versus the County of Monterey. A claim denial was sent to David Murray on August 1, 2014. On August 18, the defendant requested a QME panel in the specialty of orthopedic surgery. The only issue at an expedited hearing was whether the defendant's QME panel request was timely. This would determine what would be the correct specialty since applicant had requested physical medicine and rehabilitation. The Workers' Comp Appeals Board judge found that the defendant's panel request was not timely and the defendant petitioned removal, which was granted, and the finding reversed by the Workers' Comp Appeals Board panel. Labor Code Section 4062.2, as amended by Senate Bill 863, allows a request for qualified medical evaluator panel to be made no earlier than the first working day that is at least 10 days after the mailing of request for the evaluation. In this case, the defendant mailed the claim denial letter to the applicant on August 1st. They were allowed 10 days plus an additional five days for mailing to make a panel request. The 15th day after the denial was August 16th, a Saturday. Because the 15th day fell on a Saturday, that day is excluded. And the next business day was Monday, August 18th. The defendant made its QME panel request on August 18th, making the request timely. The Workers' Comp Appeals Board judge reached a contrary conclusion in reliance on Maselli versus Pitco Food Incorporated. That decision, however, involved an earlier version of Section 4062.2 that was substantially altered by Senate Bill 863. The new law no longer requires the parties to seek agreement on an AME. The legislature deleted that provision in Senate Bill 863. 4062.2 now allows a request for a QME panel to be made on the 10th day after a written objection. The rationale in Maselli is not applicable to Section 4062.2 in its current version. A WCAB panel ruled that failure to timely object waives defects in a QME panel. Here's what happened in the case of Dolores Navidad versus Sherburn Properties Incorporated. Dolores Natividad claims to have sustained an industrial injury as a result of a continuous trauma. The injury was denied by the employer. She was treated by Craig Channon, who practices out of a family practice occupational medicine physician. On April 18th, she filed a request for panel QME and identified Labor Code Section 4061.1 as the reason for the request. But she did not identify the primary treating physician, and she requested a panel of chiropractors but did not submit any relevant documentation supporting this request. The panel issued on May 9th. The defendant sent a letter to applicant's attorney on May 27th objecting to the panel of chiropractors because Dr. Channon's area of practice is general medicine. Then, on June 12th, the defendant filed a declaration of readiness requesting a status conference. Then, on September 8th, 
Several months later, the defendant filed a replacement panel request in the field of occupational medicine. The Workers' Comp Appeals Board judge found that the panel of chiropractic qualified medical evaluators dated May 9th was at all times and currently is a valid QME panel in this case. And the WCAB rejected a petition for removal. In this case, applicant did not comply with QME Rule 31.1b when she requested the original panel. She did not identify the treating physician or his specialty. Also, she did not attach documentation supporting a panel of chiropractors. However, defendant did not object to the medical unit when the applicant filed her request for the panel of QMEs. The defendant did not file its replacement panel request until four months after the issuance of the panel of chiropractors. In these circumstances, the defendant's objection to the medical unit was untimely. The defendant's petition for removal was therefore denied. And now our fraud report. Generic drug makers are finding themselves increasingly under international criminal scrutiny. Recently, Allergan's activist unit got a subpoena from the U.S. Justice Department seeking information on the marketing and prices of its generic drugs. It is now the biggest company yet to draw scrutiny in the government's widening antitrust probe of the industry. The June 25th subpoena also sought information about communications with competitors. Rivals including Lynette Endo International, Par Pharmaceutical Holdings Incorporated, and Impacts Laboratories. They have made similar disclosures in the past several months. Lynette also reported earlier this year that the United States is conducting a criminal antitrust investigation into the generic drug industry. The company and its senior vice president of sales and marketing were served with grand jury subpoenas. Generic drug prices have drawn attention in Washington after sharp increases for some medications in the past few years. 10% of generic drugs doubled in price between July 2013 and June 2014, and half of all generic drugs rose in price, according to Centers for Medicare and Medicaid data. One pharmacy benefits manager reported that in 2010, consumers and insurers only paid an average of $13.14 per prescription for the 50 most popular generics. But four years later, the average was up to $62.10, an increase of 373%. Allergen is the fourth biggest maker of generic drugs in the world, measured by sales. The drug makers agreed last week to sell its generics business to the largest company in the industry, Teva Pharmaceutical Industries, for $40.5 billion. Price gouging probes are not limited to the United States. Last year, UK government officials lambasted Pfizer's proposed takeover of AstraZeneca and its drawn criticism for its hardline generic Lyrica use. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority said Pfizer and partner Flynn Pharma abused their hold on the market by charging excessive and unfair prices for some drugs by as much as 2,600%. For more than a year, the Justice Department has been pursuing a criminal investigation into the possibility of price collusion among makers of generics. 
And now a report says the probe may also be looking into whether trade associations were used as a conduit to trade drug pricing information. No specific associations were named, and the Generic Drug Association, the largest trade group for generics producers, had no specific comment on the report. Meanwhile, Lawmakers have introduced identical bills in the House and Senate that would require generic drug makers to pay additional rebates to state Medicaid programs for any medicine that increases in price faster than inflation. Under current law, brand name drug makers are required to pay an additional rebate to Medicaid, but generic drug makers are not required to do so. The Congressional Budget Office has concluded that this proposal would save the Medicaid program $500 million over the next 10 years. California Labor Commissioner Julie Su issued more than $2.2 million in citations to the owners of three residential care facilities in San Diego County for what was characterized as egregious wage theft violations. The investigation showed that nine caregivers were forced to work 24-hour shifts, six to seven days a week for $1.25 to $1.80 per hour. The citations were issued to Fairhill Castle LLC and its owners Lamberto June and Jesuzon De Leon of Spring Valley for minimum wage overtime, meal period, and workers' compensation violations. They must pay over $1,300,000 for underpaid wages and premiums, almost three-quarters of a million dollars for liquidated damages, and over $170,000 in civil penalties. Investigators discovered that the De Leon's employed two people, typically a husband and wife team, at each of their facilities. They were required to provide around-the-clock care for elderly residents who suffered from advanced dementia or Alzheimer's, many of them bedridden or receiving hospice care. The caregivers worked 24-hour shifts, six to seven days a week, but were only paid between $900 and $1,300 each month in cash. The investigation also found that the De Leon's had neither reported wages to the proper state, federal and local agencies, nor did they have workers' compensation coverage during their eight years operating the facilities. The De Leon's closed the residential care facilities under the Fairhill Castle business name and subsequently reopened them under a new name, Jade House. Their eldest daughter, Emerselle De Leon, is named as the owner and sole proprietor. The Wage Theft is a Crime Public Awareness Campaign launched last year by DIR and its Labor Commissioner's Office has helped inform workers of their rights. The campaign includes multilingual print and outdoor advertising, as well as radio commercials on ethnic stations in English, Spanish, Chinese, Vietnamese, Hmong, and Tagalog. The California Department of Insurance announced it has awarded $34.9 million in grants to 37 district attorney's offices representing 42 counties in California to combat workers' compensation insurance fraud. The award is an increase over the $31.8 million awarded statewide last year. The grants funded through employers' assessments support law enforcement efforts in investigating and prosecuting workers' compensation insurance fraud. 
The three highest awards this year were in Southern California, with Los Angeles receiving about six and a half million dollars, San Diego nearly five million dollars, and Orange County nearly four million dollars. At the low end of the list, Sonoma was awarded almost sixty-seven thousand, San Luis Obispo over fifty-four thousand, and Siskiyou nearly fifty-two thousand dollars. The grants are performance-based. California district attorneys compete for workers' compensation insurance fraud grant funds. The commissioner's grant review panel reviews the applications and makes funding recommendations to the insurance commissioner based on multiple criteria, including past performance. The Fraud Assessment Commission is charged with allocating funding to fraud prosecutors statewide. It meets three to four times per year, usually in Sacramento. The last meeting was June 2017. Presently, the commission is composed of seven members taken from organized labor, self-insured employers, insured employers, workers' compensation insurers, and the president of the State Compensation Insurance Fund. The governor recently reappointed Joel Sherman, the director of safety, workers' compensation, and regulatory compliance for Grimway Farms to the commission where he has served since 2010. The California Department of Insurance is required by law to report workers' compensation fraud convictions to its website. These postings provide some feedback on the effectiveness of fraud prosecution efforts. A marina man has pleaded no contest in Monterey County Superior Court to workers' compensation insurance, fraud, and tax evasion. 45-year-old Felipe de Jesus Olvera pleaded no contest to two felony counts of making a material misrepresentation in order to obtain a lower workers' compensation insurance premium and one misdemeanor count of willfully failing to file payroll tax returns with intent to evade tax. Sentencing is scheduled for September 15th. Olvera faces a maximum sentence of six years in county jail for the felonies and up to one year for the misdemeanor. But he will initially be placed on probation. Last October, the Monterey County District Attorney's Office and the California Department of Insurance conducted an uninsured employer compliance sweep in Monterey County. While preparing for the sweep, the EDD targeted businesses to be inspected so it could be verified if they were registered as an employer. Businesses were also checked for active workers' compensation insurance policies. Olvera was doing business as a L.A. Sidanita tree service at the time of the sweep. The tree service business had a current workers' compensation insurance policy with a state compensation insurance fund, but no employees and no payroll was reported. A worksite inspection found that the defendant and two of his employees were working trimming trees on Monterey County property. Video of the employees working was taken and the employees were interviewed along with Olvera, who admitted to owning the business. The investigation also revealed that Olvera had contracted with multiple government agencies while continuing not to report his employees or wages to the State Compensation Insurance Fund. A Glendale man pleaded guilty to federal money laundering and tax charges related to a scheme in which he helped launder $1.1 million generated by a healthcare fraud scheme. 47-year-old Kakatur Hobayen pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit money laundering and filing a false tax return. 
A second defendant in this case, 59-year-old Aram Aramayan, also of Glendale, pleaded guilty earlier to the same two felony offenses. Hobai Kayam and Aramayan admitted that they deposited over $1.1 million into bank accounts in the names of bogus corporations they established primarily to launder money. Once the proceeds were deposited, they wrote checks from these corporations to themselves and their associates. And in some cases, they returned cash to the medical entities, typically after deducting a 10% commission. As part of their guilty pleas, each admitted that they failed to report all of their income from the corporations in their 2009 tax returns and have agreed to pay over three quarters of a million dollars in back taxes. Each face a statutory maximum sentence of 23 years in federal prison. There are three remaining defendants in this case. 30-year-old Edgar Haboyan of Glendale, 43-year-old Karen Sarkeesian of Glendale, and 57-year-old Tanya Smith of Ladera Park. They are scheduled for trial February 2nd. And in regulatory news, officials estimate that as many as 17.9 million Americans work as contract freelance 1099 employees for 15 hours or more each week. But an increase in legal action is forcing employers of freelance workers to reclassify workers as employees could drive up labor costs significantly. And though the popularity of 1099 workers, thus named for their tax status, is growing, so are court decisions ruling that many of these workers are misclassified and are therefore due full employment benefits, including health care, training programs, travel reimbursements, and workers' compensation. Such lawsuits and the additional expense attached to reclassification could increase the cost of labor by 20 to 40 percent. The misclassification of workers is particularly common in businesses such as dentists' office, nail salons, for workers, comp for workers in the sales profession. Additionally, Lawsuits against Uber and other app-related services like HomeJoy and Lux have raised significant questions about the responsibility of on-demand companies. Many of these companies operate on very thin margins and not all can absorb the hit of having to switch to an employee workforce. And some of these companies could owe millions in back wages and taxes. Insurance Commissioner Concerned About Insurance Mergers, California Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones voiced concerns after Anthem Blue Cross announced plans to acquire Cigna Corporation. He said, the Department of Insurance will carefully review the proposed merger of Anthem Blue Cross and Cigna Corporation, as well as proposed mergers of other health insurers. California's health insurance market already suffers from consolidation, with the four largest health insurers in the individual market controlling more than 85% of the market. Further consolidation will result in even less competition among health insurers and will leave consumers and employers with fewer choices. Studies of prior mergers of health insurers found that health insurance companies' prices increased as a result of mergers. In California, there is no authority to reject excessive health insurance rate increases unlike 35 other states. And in other news, two workers' compensation lien-based pharmacy companies have merged 
Injured Workers Pharmacy LLC has completed the acquisition of Chronic Care Incorporated, a workers' compensation home delivery pharmacy operating exclusively in California. Chronic Care does business as MH Express Pharmacy. Terms of the deal were not disclosed. The acquisition provided Injured Workers Pharmacy entry into the largest workers' compensation market in the United States. Injured Workers Pharmacy says it is a national pharmacy service working as an advocate for injured individuals on its website. It claims to take the financial burden out of the prescription process by shipping medications directly to patients and collecting payment from insurance companies. It also claims to have 126,000 square feet of facility between Boston Logan International Airport and Manchester Boston Regional Airport and over 220 employees. The acquisition expands its operations to Andover, Massachusetts, Phoenix, Arizona, and now Monrovia, California. The target company, Chronic Care MH Express Pharmacy, says it was established in 1975 and says on its website that it has grown into one of the largest and most comprehensive workers' compensation lean-based pharmacies in California. Its service area in California extends from Sacramento to San Diego. Its website also proclaims that the company is dedicated to taking the work out of the workers' compensation cases for the patient, their doctors, and their attorneys. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check out our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.